0: You're listening to Red Nation Online. Uno, Julio Cesar! la la
1: la 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 The left. The di The left. The left. The left. The left. The left.
0: The left. The la luce February 9th, it's ENB Sports, Aaron Nielsen, and I'm Ian Clark, and we're having an afternoon pint at the Foggy Dew to knock out another episode to fill the February void before the season begins. Another whirlwind week has plenty of topics as the arrival of Julio Cesar and impending departure of Matias Lava kicks off the discussion. We touch on the players brought in preseason, the short and long-term strategy of the club per Tim Wiki, and finish off by taking a hard look at the expectations of the roster and team for 2014 all over the next 40 minutes on East side, Stand Up. So it's, yeah, it's something like this where we've already started the conversation, <laughs> and then I'm like, we got to pull this microphone and get started, because obviously... Off the top, I think the most important thing to discuss is this last week of changes at Toronto City, most notably the arrival of uh, Cesar and the release, or the impending release, loan, whatever you want to call sure. it, of Matthias Laba. Either way, it looks like Laba won't be with the club this season, yeah. and Cesar comes in. The terms of it, I, it I read Sun. the Sun article, and they didn't actually have the, the details of it, but from what I'd read, it looked like it was only six months which sort of raises some questions for me in terms of how that will impact the team through a complete season. Sure. And, of course, there's discussion we can have about Matias Lava's place in the team and whether that is for the best or the worst through 2014.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting with the Laba thing just because what I've heard is it's alone. So Toronto will still own his rights. So I don't know. Maybe he comes back in the summer, or maybe he comes back next year. But uh, yeah, no, it's just a weird sort of situation. And so if the question is, is are you is who's better, Julio Lezcano Lusso- or Caesar or Laba? You know, I guess that's up for debate. But
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a. I mean, we could at some point run through this whole roster and say, is this better than that? Yeah. And and I specifically think of it with regards to Laba because I think there's only a few handful of players on this team that you can. That was awesome. A few players on the team that I think you could maybe say, like, proven MLS caliber, an asset to the team. Sure. And Lava, to me, is one of them. And there's players they've brought in this offseason that perhaps he's leaving at an expense of them that I don't think suits that. Well,
1: the other thing, too, is is I think there's um, room... You know, basically, we can almost come to the conclusion that Toronto's going for it this year, right? And one of the things is, historically, other teams that were going for it, New York, at Los Angeles, they would bring in older MLS players into their team, basically for low salary, saying, we'll give you a chance at the ring, right? So I still think there's room for Toronto to do that. The the unfortunate thing with Laba leaving is if he was a long term player and Bradley already is a long term player, they could develop some sort of relationship together, and that would have more long term success than going for it this season. And it's you know it's interesting just to see what they do in terms of how good they are and how they perform.
0: Yeah, because for me, I think one of the things I got really excited about and that I thought really improved Toronto's chances was that of Bradley Laba midfield. Yeah. and it would have I thought Laba as a holding mid would have allowed Bradley to sort of recapture some of that approach from his early years in his career where he was moving up a bit further forward and was more of an attacking threat. And then I think Toronto would have had more balance, I think, from the back and going into the front.
1: Sure, sure. And it it also shows me that I think, and I think this is unfortunate, but I think that Toronto wants to use Bradley as the defensive midfielder and basically have him protecting the back four, opposed to being part of the offense. Now, I look more into, you know, I think the season you're referring to with Bradley is his the season had ahead of him, where he scored like 10 goals and a lot of 15, assists, 15, 15 and goals, 33, I yeah, I um, was one too. One point to that was, is he was playing on the roster with this guy named, uh, a Croatian player named Vlaviak or something Piantic, like that. Piantic Piantic, 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 who ended up going to Bayern Munich. And he dominated this in terms of playmaking, right? He had about sixteen assists that year, scored about eight or nine goals. So I think part of Bradley's success that year was almost and I related to Portland's success the past season with Will Johnson and Valeri, where because you had the attacking midfielder control the play, it gave the freedom of the other player to come in and score goals and, and be part of the offense. And my biggest concern with Toronto going into the season is their ability to build up play, their playmaking ability, because I imagine eventually teams are going to become scared of Toronto and, and step back and give Toronto possession. And if I look at this team player for player, I don't know how well they're going to perform with possession. A lot of these players succeeded because they are able to play on the counter and were able to play individual plays, and they weren't given the ball, you know,
0: they were fighting for the ball, which gave them a chance to succeed. Right. The one other thing I wanted to, f- to flip back into, obviously, with the starting point of this was, of course, the arrival of César yeah. and the discussion of depending on his contract. And my thoughts were that if it's a six-month contract, you know, how much does that really benefit TFC, or does it really just benefit César? And is it, sure. sh- is it just a favor from Nelson to one of his former yeah. teammates? Yeah. That's something that I think is an issue. And while, yes, we have a Brazilian World Cup, and we can say we might have a Brazilian World Cup keeper on our team, it sells lots of tickets, we have three Brazilians, Everything about it is, is a, in terms of a positive, in terms of a marketing perspective, sure, sure. but in terms of a team perspective, I have a bit of concern that if he leaves after the World Cup, doesn't come back, and then we have to switch gears to Bendick, you know, there's a relationship that is built from the back moving forward yeah. that has to be reset, and those of us who followed Bendick closely last year know what he has to offer and what his strengths and, importantly, his weaknesses are. Yeah could be going into the second half of 2014.
1: Sure, and I think another worry of that is MLS is a playoff league, right? So reality is as long as you finish in the top eight going into the playoffs, there really is no advantage, disadvantage. You know, you get a choice of where your home is and the home and away semifinals and stuff like that, but reality is, is once you're in the playoffs, you're in the playoffs, right? So I think historically teams have succeeded in the playoffs built to the playoffs and realize that the ML season throughout the season is a slog and you know all we need to do is get points here and get ahead now reality is you could argue you know I think Cesar will be be here during the Neutral Life Championship so it might give Trial a better chance in that tournament and if they get a big enough points lead through the first half of the season they could cruise for the rest of the season but then again you look at Montreal last year who did not have the players with this story but their story was the same, right? They had a very successful start of the season, they had, they had a success in the neutral life championship, and then you know, they basically tampered out and by the end of the year they you know they, they were a lost mess. So yeah. so yeah, I I think there is some concern there.
0: Yeah, and we're going now we're going obviously it sounds like he might be arriving this week or ASAP. Uh, the Brazilians have now showed up, so maybe all three of them will be there in camp this week. You know, we're this is where we're at. We're in the midst of preseason. Admittedly, I didn't catch all of this game. That was this past week. Oh, the the, f- f- the f- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, as best as I could. Okay. Um, but really, I mean, you know, preseason you can get a, a fair bit from, but I've never really like you know, how there's gospel, so to speak, in terms of how players right. perform that. Because you know, you have a sense of who your starting 11 is going to be. Sure. And it's just a matter of finding out, is there a player that can crack through that and and earn themselves a contract? Sure. This year, you know, obviously in that first game, you know, what I actually would say is that, you know, on this podcast, we're pretty critical of the media sometimes and TorontoFC.ca, but yeah. I went on uh, TorontoFC.ca and there's, mm-hmm. I think it's Sean Kier or Sean K. Mm-hmm. Who's, due, who's their new Asif for 2014. Okay. And he obviously has a background at the score. Mm. So I know him from there and that his his knowledge is very extensive and, and really articulate. And he actually has a pretty good breakdown of that first game okay. and the players that stood out. So I'm actually interested to follow almost his writing this year to see, in fact, how accurate he is, if he's willing right. to sort of... You know, break that mold of that we've thought of as the you know the Toronto C Media guy, sure, and whether yeah. he gives some actual like accurate insight, cool. which is which, which I would expect, cool. yeah. because he had some great points on you know uh, the Bradley Osorio partnership. Um, some good points on the D and whatnot so it's curious to know and of course the a guy that we've talked about plenty of times on this podcast Bright DK scores the winner yeah,
1: yeah. well that was the
0: comment I, I was
1: just on your, your terms of the media his preseason is here as well so I don't know if the management's coming to him and saying hey can you turn it down a bit if he becomes critical like if they lose the next um, game 5-0 or something like that and he's really critical. It would be interesting to see if he's consistent in terms of his criticism or if he's told to do something else. But yeah, no, I think the DK thing is interesting, right? And reality is if DK's willing, I know he, there, was, there was talk about him going potentially to Celtic and I think he's better than this, but if he's willing to be the late sub coming in and provide a different tool to the team, I think that's, I think that's a great asset. The question that's interesting to me is at this point and you know I'll come out and say it I think DK is a better MLS player than Giberto Oh yeah. But because of the situation and you're paying Giberto a million bucks and you paid them the transfer fee is the team going to feel committed to playing him and not give DK the opportunities. And and the other thing that wouldn't surprise me and, but would upset me is mid-season you see another MLS team coming to Toronto offering allocation by like offering in international roster spot for DK services just to realize that, you know, this is the players being underused in Toronto's lineup.
0: Yeah, you know, what I would add to that point is uh, your favorite uh, Brazilian pundit, Tim Vickery, actually. Sure. <laughs> Last week, I he someone called into the World Football phone and asking him specific, well, it was someone from Philadelphia asking about a player that they got from Argentina, but they also mentioned Gilberto. Oh, God. And Vickery, when he first was coming out, said this, and he reiterated it just a week ago, saying, you know, I really have trouble understanding why Toronto went to get Defoe and Gilberto. Yeah, yeah. As as in terms of a poacher, they're offering you almost the exact same thing, and he goes, I can't imagine them being on the pitch at the same time. Yeah. Because they're neither of them are good combination players.
1: Yeah. And
0: Gilberto's success last year was him as a lone target, like as a lone forward. Yeah.
1: Well, well, yeah. And just to give
0: further information on that, you know, Portuguese
1: is a very weak team to tell you how weak they are is they didn't even finish in the relegation zone last year in the Brazilian league but because of how easy the team is be able to take advantage of they relegated them because Fluminense who's a big team we're in the relegation zone, okay. right? So Portuguese is a team no one cares. You know, I'll be honest with this is a team no one cares about, right? And Gilberto was on loan from Internacional, who is a dominant team with Sokoko and the four Lion, Right. <laughs> a yeah. lot of names who we're familiar with, and he never made that team, right? So what happened is is the way Portuguese would play is they were always on the defense, and so they played basically a four five one, had him free, kicked the ball up. And let him run with the ball, let him do stuff. And you know, he had some he had some a couple of very great games where he they beat a surprised opponent, I think they beat Santos 3 0 and he scored two goals in the game. But and the and the irony is is if you watch the full play, especially in the Tottenham lineup, that's the same player he is. Right? He's not the play that he dictates the play and he scores the goals. He, it's the the team causes commotion in the box and he's the guy who sneaks in and scores the goal. So, yeah, I agree with you that, that we're not dealing with players here. And my greatest concern with the team is their playmaking ability and the chances of the developing offense. And I, I'm, my concern is next season, especially at home, I think it might be very frustrating because I think the team's going to take a lot of shots from outside the box. I think the team's going to take you know, a lot of possession, but I don't think they're necessarily going to score a lot. Because to score goals, you know, there's and there's in, in the analytics world, and I don't necessarily believe in this stat 100%, but there's now a stack called expected goals, where we're not just evaluating shots, we're just not evaluating crosses, we're evaluating the quality of cross, the quality of shot, and that's what leads to goals, and it's ironic in some capacity that Tottenham, with the foe, has, or with the, with the foe and without the foe, but Tottenham struggled in the EPL this year because they have the ball, they have possession, they take shots, but they're unable to create the goal because they're the way they approach it, it, it caught
0: issue under uh, Bill's boss, Right. And that's what I'm, you know, I don't want to jump at it too far because that's something where, going into 2014, you know, my eyes are, are squarely set on Nelson, yeah. because he's obviously been de- he's obviously been delivered a hand or, or given a, a problem yeah. that he needs to come up with a solution for, and, you know, that's one reason why, as much as I'm uh, have trepidation about De Rosario coming back to Toronto FC, I thought he that return, as we saw that Joe Beltran De Foe coming sort of balanced out the imbalance of that pairing where now you have a guy, another option, who offers something a little bit different who can maybe draw some players to him to unlock those guys, to release those guys. And that's what I think is good. And of course, that's what I was always hoping that Bradley would also be a contributor in the attack.
1: Sure. And I I think eventually they'll expect that
0: from him. Right? Yeah. I
1: just think that tactically, they think elsewise. Tactically, I think they think that these players have so much skill that they'll just put them on the pitch and they can develop for themselves and I think reality is is if the other MLS teams want to play Toronto equally that could be the case right you know if it's player versus player and just everyone run on the pitch Toronto could win and win easily but as soon as the team uses tactics and is smart and says, okay, we're going to give trial the ball because we know they can't do anything with it, yeah. then that's when you're going to frustrate the team. And the other issue, and and, and my only concern with, um, I, I agree with you, I like the move with the Rosario, but my concern with the Rosario and Jackson, especially if they're playing the attacking midfield, is again, both these players are individualists. And, and, you know, the one thing that you do notice about imports coming into the team, and we saw this in the um, final game of the season with uh, Davao and Wenger with Montreal, is if you take an opportunity that the star should have had, that's when you start creating conflict on the team, right? And so if Defoe is, if there's a ball just rolling in the... Uh, opponent's box and the foe's ready to take a shot. He's just waiting to come, and all of a sudden, Jackson De Rosario, Rosario, run up to the ball and kick it. <laughs> He's just going to stand there, going, "What the f? You know, yeah. like uh, you know, that was supposed to be my goal. That what's, what? What do you do there? So, so yeah, no. There's certainly going to be a lot of player development, and a part lot that will be the coaching needed for this team to jump.
0: Yeah, that's I think that's I think this is the big piece. Is that you know, and this is the perfect segue because I was going to say that. You know where we're at discussing this team and the things we're going about is I wanted to circle back to you know the intro I did on the last pod and the, and the quote that I pulled from Tim Laiwiki which was really all we've done is created an amazing opportunity sure. that's all it and I think that's something I think that's really poignant and I yeah. think something that all of us as supporters and fans should be drawing from when we're looking at this team and what our hopes and expectations are is that right now yeah we have a great roster mm-hmm. An encouraging one, but all it is is an opportunity. There's still tons to do, and there's things in terms of, you know, of course, Ryan Nelson and his coaching, the harmony in the locker room for sure. uh, managing the egos. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, you know, one other thing is, you know, there's I think there's still a lot of players who had good years last year, but to, to follow up on it and, and to do it in the second year, sure. now that they're not unknown commodities, they're known commodities. There's question marks around, I think, quite a handful of players that I think we're thinking are to be in the starting lineup. Sure. Well, they also
1: have to understand their role now. They're not going to have the freedom with the ball. And, and to be honest with you, and as I mentioned a bit earlier, that's where I say, say trial isn't done in bringing in players, because I think they expect players to adapt to the team. But the reality is, is we're not sure they can. And most historically in sports, we don't have this big change, because I think next year, We expect like eight or nine new starters of the starting 11 with Toronto. Yeah. But you'll see this with other teams. You know, basketball is a great example of this, where you have a really bad team who changes, and they bring in players, and then all the players who you thought were amazing with the really bad team don't look (laughs) as good anymore. A classic example in in Toronto sports is the Blue Jays last year, right? The reality is, is the players they brought in, other than Johnson, they performed what they were supposed to do. Why Toronto sucked was because the players they thought were going to do something never performed and did something. Right. Of course, I'm I, as a Toronto FC fan, I'm, I'm excited about the season. I'm happy that, you know, we are on top and we are the team to beat. But it's it's confusing for me just because, you know, I was looking at this team to develop. I was looking at certain players to develop. I was looking for a long-term model. And now we just changed the whole game. Yeah. Right? And so there is a lot of questions in terms of what what is Toronto FC
0: now? Yeah. And I think... Just circling back slightly was that, you know, my my point was just to temper expectations yeah. because I can think of almost every year. And, if, and, of course, this year is not like really any other one. But, I mean, going into, I think it was the 2012 season, I mean, I saw a lot of people thinking that our starting center back pairing was going to be Giovanni Casado and Miguel Aceval. Mm-hmm. And we know how that went. Yeah. You know, like Acevedo was gone after half a season. So, yeah. Yeah. are there guys that we think that are a sure thing this year that just won't be a fit? Whether it's Jackson, mm. whether it's Gilberto, mm. whether it's Cesar, sure. right? Whether it's Morrow, who sure. just, when it comes down to actually playing in the league and competing for Toronto FC at BMO Field week in, week out, the fit just doesn't work out. Sure. Sure. And that is, I think, is a very real possibility for us heading into the season, especially when you have such a crazy spectrum of salaries yeah. Yeah. and egos. And leaders and whatnot, keep that tucked in the back of our minds instead of being like, Defoe's going to score 20 yeah. goals. Well, and- no, and,
1: and that's the problem. As a statistician, which is my primary work and what I do, I have to say Toronto is favored going into the season. If you look at the analytics, if you look at projected statistics, you oh, know, I perceive, and comparable to last season, I could see, oh, those players we're talking about, you know, Defoe, Gilberto, uh, Bradley, Dero, and Jackson, I can see 50 goals coming from those five guys alone. Sure. Right? So, you have to have those expectations. The irony is, is I think TFC would love your point of view, right? TFC wants this season to be a surprise. TFC wants this team to be, gel slowly, become great. And, you know, reality is, is if you talk to most of people on the street who don't follow TFC, it's probably going to be perceived that way. Yeah. They're going to look at the standings and go, holy shit, I thought this team was sucked, and now they're great. Well, now, isn't Toronto wonderful,
0: right? I, I, just a quick segue, is in my... At my office, I overheard a guy waiting at the other saying, hey, I heard Tronsley signed some guy named Defoe.
1: <laughs>
0: Defoe, do you know who that? is? You're a soccer guy, right? Talking to this other guy. And I was like, okay, well, hey, baby steps. Oh. Baby steps, we'll take it. Defoe, he'll learn that it's yeah. Defoe.
1: Well, we're learning, and meanwhile in England, everybody's
0: crying because Defoe's leaving. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But you know, I wanted to touch on one quick point, and that of I know I mentioned Tim my Sure. And I kind of wanted to just... Maybe just roll into that a bit because, in between the last pod that we did, the last one maybe like a month ago with Steve and Andre, but also in maybe the last one that you and I did just one on one, he was also a topic of discussion. Yeah. And then, of course, that article came out in the Toronto Star yeah, that shed light into the whole way that these player signings went down. And I wanted to preface it just by saying what I learned from that article was that um, Tim Lewicki is certainly a shark. He may be a shark NATO, he may be a shark NATO with freaking lasers. I mean, the guy, the way, and yeah. it's like one thing I've also learned is that when hearing him talk from, from this point on, yeah. based on that article, I look at it in a completely different way because the, he is the master of misdirection. Yeah. And when he says something, he could be thinking 180 sure. on sure. that. You know, sure. he might be saying, oh, whatever this, we're not interested in this guy sure. just for whatever reason yeah. for, the, for the master plan. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, I appreciate that. In a way, it makes it difficult for us. Sure to analyze and discuss him accurately.
1: Yeah, well, we had um, a pod last year, once after Toronto played a miserable game against New York Red Bulls, where the Loki thing was, was becoming a story. And it was becoming a story between you and us because I hadn't had a chance to comment on it. And I wrote an article last summer basically, you know, calling, <laughs> calling Toronto see a bunch of drug addicts. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, but I was very positive about the Wookie. and And I love the guy. Like, the guy is crazy, but... My only issue is, is he almost reminds me, and I think he's given this role. He almost reminds me of a Roman in bravery, right? He reminds me of a crazy owner with a lot of money, right? And so he's just going to go out and do things, which is slightly worrying, right? Because we don't know how much knowledge of soccer he knows and how much he's just, oh, this is cool, we're bringing Bradley, we're bringing Defoe, we're causing shit. And the other problem I do have is it seems that he, I'm just saying this from an outside perspective, it seems he's taking control over the other team, right, you know, the, the picks in the uh, draft were kind of, uh, you know, I'd be surprised if either of those guys were on the team this year, and none of these moves seems like th- that pick, it seems like Lewicki's choices and stuff like that, or... or Nelson's connections, but you you would imagine Nelson's not going to Tim and saying, "Oh, I can get Julio Caesar." He's going to he's going to said, "Hey man, can you give me a couple, you know, hundred grand so I can pick this guy up?" Right. Again, if it's the biggest worry in England when Manchester when Chelsea came all the money, when Manchester City got all the money, and Russia, there's this team called Anzi who had all this money. The biggest concern is once they if they give up, you know, if this doesn't work, we're in a worse position than we started. in because now this is expectation
0: and, you know, if this fails. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, because I think that's what um, I was thinking and we've discussed before in terms of, like, what we thought the model might have been for Toronto FC, oh. which would have been more long-term, and it looks like they're really going short-term, yeah. right? Instead of saying, you know what, Cesar, you would be a great fit, but, you know, we have this 23-year-old keeper that we see as the keeper of our future, and this season's important for him to develop. Right. No. Cesar can maybe get us a step further this year. Yeah. and Cesar won't, may, probably won't be around the next year. Sure. Sure. I would be surprised if, if after the World Cup you know, maybe you were saying, maybe we can convince him after yeah. that, that he yeah. loved it here in Toronto so much, he'll stay for the rest of the season. We keep him on loan. Sure. But uh, that's that remains to be seen.
1: Well, the other concern looking into the future is all these new teams coming into the league. And historically, when new teams come into the league, like when Trial came into the league, the league will do an expansion draft. Now, because it's MLS rules and not the world's rules, they set the expansion draft to be certain things and stuff like that. And one of the things they restrict is, if you got an old guy who you guaranteed money to, you can't make him available in, in the draft. You know, the whole draft, the idea of the draft, is young guys, players who you develop, and all this kind of stuff. When Orlando, I think, is picking next year, New York is picking the year following, maybe you lose a Hamilton, you know, this guy that we will have high expectations for. Maybe you lose an Azario, maybe, you know, Depending on your opinion of Becker, maybe you lose a Becker because you don't see his role, and so you make him free during this expansion draft. And the other team says, "Okay, we'll take a shot at this guy." Yeah. The biggest, to me especially with TFC, the bigger story is TFC two years from now, TFC three years from now. Like I love, I'm I'm way I'm ready to go for the ride this year. I want the team to be 34 and 0 <laughs> yeah. and win everything. I would love it, but. I think there's a lot of questions in terms of where we are three years, where we are five years. And yeah, like and
0: there's just something about me, whether it's I played too much football manager growing <laughs> up, that I ha- I really like the idea of seeing a full cycle. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I like seeing a full vision... And something start and and see it through and see you like bear the fruit sure. of, of an approach and a philosophy and a vision and that's something like we talked about in the last pod we did with with on the or the first one we did Gaffer yeah. and Hooligan where it was like that's why I really liked the the story of Seattle yeah. and Kansas City because they and and knowing you know reading articles about Christ from when he first got on there and reading about Kansas City and their president and and their approach with vermes and whatnot it's like that's inspiring yeah. to me yeah. Yeah. so. I still, like, I want to be inspired. And, you know, what doesn't inspire me is Manchester City or Chelsea, I have to be honest. Yeah, yeah. That's not inspiring. Uh, so I'm hoping at least, you know, we've done this, but maybe there'll be a balance where between maybe some finding some players in lower leagues and finding some players through our academy. I know a couple of kids in the academy are really, really good mm-hmm. that I hope can work out and have a future with this club. Sure. And that maybe will balance it out. Because I know, you know, one thing could be, hey, You have this, plus a ridiculous budget to sign these world-class players whenever you you need it, and that could be Toronto's long-term advantage over the rest of the league.
1: Well, and and historically, if you look at the league, that has been one of the biggest problems or issues in the league, right? Is, Is what you sell players coming into the team is a different story than what you provide them on the pitch. And a lot of teams have not succeeded, you know, like in the case of New York. New York supposedly the Red Bulls have one of the best academies, but have never given a player through their academy a shot with New York Red Bulls because Henri and Cahill expect to be successful from the day, you know, from the beginning and they don't want to give these young guys a shot to play, right? And, and so you see teams, you even see teams like LA who are almost going more into the direction of development. Than they are in terms of DP. So you know, it's it's funny because we always joke that Toronto, you know, and we, we talk about you know Toronto's this USL Pro relationship with Wilmington now, and we always talk Toronto's a little bit behind. Yeah. And honestly, this DP chasing the DP, I think Seattle. The, both of these teams have something to prove, but both Seattle and Toronto are a little bit behind. When that was cool in the MLS. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so if you're always if you're always behind or you're always trying to catch up, it doesn't say. A
0: good things about your long-term development. Right, right. Getting to this point, I kind of want to, not really wind it down, but get into the last little segment because I think this is something that's worth talking about, and where where we are with the state of this roster, players we have, because I don't think we're going to see huge changes, you know, by the early March in terms right. of the kickoff. And right. you know, maybe some players we let go, but I think we're looking at more or less when this week starts and we start seeing Cesar and Joe and Jackson come in. We're going to start seeing more or less who we're going to have on day one. Sure. And our thoughts on who our starting roster is, is sort of shaping up to be, but also in terms of, you know, where is there anywhere that's still work to do and, and weaknesses in this team?
1: Sure. Well, I think, again, it's interesting because there's was a conversation of last year's conversation, and that is the fourth, the, the most interesting player, and to add to the team in terms of my opinion, is who's the fourth midfielder, right? And is it Ray who has some skill? you know, still has the big price tag attached to him in terms of salary, but we don't know if he's good enough to play at the level of these other guys. And the, and, or Zario, you know, who a lot of people liked and, 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 and hope, you know, has opportunities and stuff like that. Or Becker, who a lot of people loved and slandered. Yeah. <laughs> and then we don't sure what to expect from him. But the other one is, and an, a guy that, you, you know, not to point things, but a guy you were critical of last year, is I think the player who, deve- who adapts best to that is Reggie Lamb. And only because he has that English Academy background at Ipswich, and he can play his role. And and as I said earlier, I think the key to the additional players being the players returning from last year is how they adapt. Right, stay back, you know, be a part of the team. But you know, you got to take, you got to be second in command or third in command or ninth in command. To these other players and it's their ability to adapt to these other players and give them control that I think is going to be the biggest question
0: yeah you know it's, I just it's just kind of dawned on me now where it's like yeah we have super critical of Reggie Lamb but if you take off the expectations of what he might have had when he first arrived in terms of being an offensive contributor and whatnot and he's able to say you know what he Rosario Bradley whoever they can handle that I just have to worry about my responsibilities sure. which is Helping out on the defense, you know, being part of a linking play and offering a cro- an out the odd cross here and sure, there. Sure. At 22, 21 years, that's nothing to I think to, yeah. to shake our head. at. I think that's actually pretty good. Well, the positives, you know, to, about
1: Lamb is is number one statistically in advanced statistics. He did well, right? His passing percentage was good. How he played his position was good. You know, he didn't get the goals and assists, but he what he did in terms of the smaller stats or or the football possession stats, he was quite good. In. The other thing is, is I think the key point, especially when the team, you know, when you're playing against five defenders, when you're need a goal in the last 10 minutes, is space, right? And my worry with Azario, my worry with Becker, watching them last year, is they might clog space up, right? They might go for the ball into the center of the pitch, and you'll have five guys standing on the 18-yard line, right where the, where the penalty spot is and nobody on the right and left. And and that's the easiest thing to defend, right? If you're a defender and you can just stand, you know, the easiest way to defend is put six guys in the net and allow the guys just to shoot at you, right? So by spreading out the field and giving opportunities and giving freedoms for the foe to turn and, and you know, giving them space to run is a great asset for this team. And I think that's how they're gonna generate most of their goals from. And then just to add to it in terms of the defense, the question is, I guess the biggest question in defense is, is Henri Morgan. Are they of value to the team? Are they part of the team anymore? And in comparison, how lend this guy they drafted, Agabusi, who is going to be that second center, uh, center back?
0: Yeah, that's. I think that's the one thing is that I wanted to touch on is just that there are some players, to me, who we've talked about this before, you know, had good years last year, were relatively unknown across the league, but that won't be the case this year. So teams will be looking at Toronto C and have more of a scouting report on players such as. Osorio, yeah. Bendick, right. Henry. So they might know uh, their weaknesses better than they would have last year. Sure. And I think that's something that still has to be factored into the season. And there, there might still be questions regarding our, our defense, especially. Yeah.
1: Well, the other thing, too, is, is if you watch MLS in general and you see LA Galaxy play or New York play, realistically, most of the time, Keane and Henry are not criticized. Right? Who are criticized is the guy who looks out of place right and so you know i imagine even though we're based in toronto and canada i imagine mls will put toronto mainly on their television schedule i think we'll be on nbc or fox or whoever's having the games your espn and those national broadcasters who don't have a, you know a relationship with tfc are going to be critical as possible right and they're going to say well you know toronto fc was good but that defender on henry sucked <laughs> that's yeah. why they lost the game right and to be honest with you we're probably one of the only ones who did this, but if you looked at Toronto FC's games last year, critically, right, not to say the results, not to say what happened to the game, there was little things that the players did which made you shake your head. When year, Or
0: Adrian studio, tisk Like, <laughs> sure. what is that guy doing? There you <laughs> just, you he heard it live on the air, and I was like, I went from not liking his play-by-play to loving it.
1: Sure, sure. And again, I think that's going to be noticeable, right? Because no one... Even though, and we talked about this briefly prior, even though the team might not want to think this, Toronto seed now is the team to beat. So they're going to be looked at critically different. And and especially, you know, the fact that Bradley's an American hero and Defoe is this great EPL player. I don't think people are going to be critical, you know, are going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, D-Row will have a lot to prove. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that he can adapt and do so. But I think also these young guys are going to be in the firing range.
0: Yeah. I think, and that's I think that's like kind of tying up a lot of things in terms of again, Dero is a question mark. How well he bounces back from you know a, a disappointing 2013 season, and then of course the earlier point where it was again, you know, how does Nelson cope with all this? And, and when I put those question marks out there, a lot of those are players that I think fall their 2014 season and 2015 season will fall down to coaching and development and sure. how the team manages making Daniel Henry you know a star center back and if sure. and i have to say you know you have a head coach who i would expect that is the only thing i would expect that I mean, is to make yeah. take a young defender and turn him into a top caliber player yeah. and that's sort of what i'm looking at and thinking you know i hope through these next two season in the next season that there's a handful of players who are young still get their chance yeah. and and if they don't live up to expectations you know, we aren't sticking with that short-term vision yeah. and realize this is just another part of the, the learning experience that's yeah. going to make them better down the road. Well,
1: just to give a comparison, and again, using an EPL, you could argue that Toronto's situation going into the season is almost Di Roberto's situation with Chelsea when he was coach of there. And they did succeed. Di Matteo. Di Matteo, sorry. And they did succeed and they did win the Champions League. But how many players were developed under his system, right? And why wasn't he the long-term pick? Because... Just to bring EPL again to it, and Tottenham with their new hiring in Sherwood, is is that these play these played teams are caring for success right now, and they're not looking at the long term. And so, you no, know, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. And, and I do think, in, in terms of my view, I think the biggest criticism or most critical I'm going to be this season is the
0: management side, including the coaching. So maybe that's you know, to to actually wind this down, and finish this off. Then, you know, we did it in the last pod, but then I guess I'm curious to get your opinion. Aaron what you're going to deem success for 2014 okay. and sort of you said the things that you're looking for but maybe laying it out more more uh, succinctly in terms of when the season's finished will you look what will make you look back and be like you know what this is good going into 2015
1: from a complete outsider and just looking at the team analytically I think the team should be a contender right I think the team should be a first place team um, based on the players and what you expect and how they perform um, as a fan you know, I might expect a little bit less of that because we never, you know, it's a weird sensation for a Toronto C fan because we never had success, right? So to go to BMO and see the team win 5-0 might make your whole year happy, <laughs> right? Because we never experienced that before. Or yeah. or to have a playoff run or to be in the playoffs might make it worthwhile. So I think, you know, as a Toronto C fan, I'm saying this in general, I think we are sort of, you know, we'll be happy with less. But realistically, if you're going to be critical, and this team does not is not one of the premier teams in the league, I think there would be a lot of questions asked about them.
0: I think that's fair. I mean, I've definitely I've said I think maybe perhaps I'm slightly traumatized or psychologically <laughs> damaged from the first seven years because last podcast like I said I would just be happy if we were yeah, no. really good home form. Yeah. Like that's all I, I'm like I'll be happy with that. But caveat is I'm I'm saying that expecting there this is it's an ascension. It's not oh this is it and next year we'll kind of meander along at 500. I am looking at hoping that this season is a step to next season and the season after and whatnot. So if if that was the case, I'm happy with us being Rail Salt Lake, the first year that they did really well under Jason Christ, which I believe was 2008. You know they had a roughly five hundred level, but they only lost one game at home. Yeah. If memory serves, I mean yeah. going back uh-huh. five or six years, uh-huh. and that me would be an indication that okay. You got this sorted out, now you just got to figure out road form. Yeah. And, and then you're a real contender. So those are the things that I'm hoping for. i
1: would just say my only concern with that perception is traditionally that's not been the case with the MLS, right? Traditionally, we almost play like an NCAA soccer or junior hockey thing. Where we play teams developed for that pinnacle peak, and then they restart again. And part of the reason is, is that, and we talked about this in our uh, with the podcast with the hooligans, is are we a feeder league, right? And if Gilberto, because of the opportunities given, scores 20 goals this season, does that mean, you know, an English Premier League team won and, and that we have to restart again, right? So maybe, you know, maybe to compensate is, is that we have a winning mentality. Right? And that winning mentality maintains itself for the long term. And so we are a winner. Yeah. And we're no longer a laughing stock. And yeah. that's who we are. And if we can attain that, you know, then, then, then you, you have to pat Lewicki on the back and say the team's just success.
0: I like that approach better than mine. Like you said, <laughs> having, because I don't think that's ever really existed here at Toronto FC, is like a winning mentality and in, in the establishment of a winning culture. Yeah. You know, from the top down, I can think of so many times hearing Tom and Selmy talk. And he never, he just kind of was like, I think we can make the playoffs. And I'm like, wow, you're really shooting for the stars there, eh? Like, holy cow, let me buckle in for this ride to finish in eighth, right? It's just, and that's what I think needs to change, is that the team, like you said, and, and that's maybe what LieWiki will bring, is that he's coming here, and maybe he's not saying it out in the media quite yet, but I think probably to people he's saying fuck this, man, we're yeah. going for it this year. Yeah. And if we if we can't make a serious run at it, then that's a major disappointment.
1: And, and as a Toronto fan, in general, in all sports, I would say Lewicki is the first person that I've seen who expects the team to be successful. Right? And and again, in some... Like, if you, you know, honestly, if you got him and you said, oh, we're going to finish eight he'd probably tell you to, <laughs> using inspiration style he'd probably tell you to F off or yeah, you, know, you would definitely be disappointed with that you yeah. know and also it's not coming back and other things are not happening if this team isn't ends up being in that position
0: yeah so. I think on that note I'm pretty happy we've covered a lot of stuff yeah, yeah, and, well. and last one we got a couple uh Comments saying we were overly negative. I don't think that was the case this time. I think no. we were just uh, critical, critical, critical <laughs> of meandering on neither here nor there, sure. like sure. sitting on the fence. So, hopefully, the listener enjoyed it uh, and, and enjoyed the, the, the usual analysis. Um, Aaron, you're at, at ENB Sports. Yep. People can find you there. Of course, you're writing on Red Nation Online. Yep. Your articles are up right now and of course I'm at Clark Arano I said it the first pod you know anytime we're doing this podcast reach out to us on Twitter reach us at info or have your say at rednationonline.ca we'd like to connect and let you know or let us know what you think of the pod and the stuff we talked about today so on that note uh, I guess we'll say thanks a lot for coming out sure and uh, we'll check you guys next time thanks a lot Eastside Stand-Up is the only Toronto specific podcast breaking down the game right after it happens. We want you to get involved. Reach out to us on Twitter at RedNationOnline or on email at info at rednationonline.ca and share your thoughts on how the Reds did on the pitch today. As well, check out our other podcasts on rednationonline.ca from the Black Hole, Off the Woodworks, and the Gaffer and Hooligan, giving you all the coverage you want on Canadian soccer. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.